The Old Testament reading for this, the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 56th chapter. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for, the ho- for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And this is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the 11th chapter. I ask them, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so too have not, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And this is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel that serves as the text for our sermon this morning comes to us according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father. And from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
There are some weeks when a pastor looks at the readings for the upcoming Sunday and he just knows exactly what he's going to say. All three texts kind of really jump out at him, and God's message is very clear. There are those weeks where already by Tuesday, I'm just drooling for a chance to preach on any of the three readings in front of me. This is not one of those weeks. You see, sometimes God's word makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes it's not perfectly clear to us because of our limited and sinful knowledge what exactly God is telling us. And so sometimes as a pastor, there are texts that I say, you know, let's just not go there. Let's use one of the other readings. Or maybe I could preach on the introit psalm. Or maybe I could free text it and just bring in something that's not even included in the readings this week. But sometimes we need to be uncomfortable. Sometimes we need to dig a little deeper into what we don't understand. Sometimes, as much as we would like to just gloss over part of the Bible and say, oh, maybe that was just a cultural thing, we don't get it and we never will, well, we need to look more closely at it, stop ignoring it, and see just what God is actually saying. Which takes us to our gospel reading today. We've probably all heard it before. We probably all heard some different explanations of what exactly was going on with this Canaanite woman who comes and Jesus doesn't say anything to her and then kind of calls her a dog and then is like, oh, I was just messing with you. People say, well, Jesus was testing her faith and he's going to test ours as well. People preach that the Canaanite woman's persistence changed God's mind and so we should be persistent as well. I know that I've heard sermons like that before. But you see, this text has always bothered me. And none of those explanations really set quite well. And when I read this account, I find myself kind of repeating that phrase that Jesus speaks at the beginning. He says, it is not right. Let me show you why. To start with, the entire setting of this reading is not right. In the reading itself, Jesus tells the disciples that he was sent only to the house of Israel. And yet, where do we find him? In the region of Tyre and Sidon, outside the borders of Israel. So what exactly is he doing there as he's teaching the lesson, this is not where I am supposed to be. If he hasn't been sent to anyone but Israel, why in the world is he even in Tyre and Sidon? It's not right. And then something not right happens again. A Canaanite woman comes and cries out to him. Now understand, there was a lot of animosity and hatred between Canaanites and Jews. They did not get along. They did not speak to each other. And, of course, we all know that women would not cry out to men in that culture. The whole thing is not right. And yet, here's this Canaanite woman. She knew of Jesus. She had heard of his wonders, even though she was a foreigner. And what's more, she addresses Jesus as the Messiah. The words that Matthew records that she uses, they are not by accident. 
She says, O Lord, but then goes on and says, Son of David. Clearly showing she knows the messianic promise. She, a Canaanite, knows that this is the promised Messiah through the Jews. Now this is something that most of the Jews, those who were waiting so eagerly for the Messiah, had missed. In the readings just before this, the reason why Jesus and the disciples retired back to the region of Tyre and Sidon is because the Pharisees were getting on them and saying, you're no Messiah, you're not from God, you're doing things all wrong. But she gets it. And so the whole setting isn't quite right. Jesus seems to be doing the exact opposite of what he's saying, and the woman seems to be the opposite of what we think she should be. And all of this sets the stage for something else that seems even less right, the way that Jesus deals with the situation. This woman, who acknowledges him as the Messiah, who is coming to him for help, this woman cries out, and what does Jesus do? Jesus answers her, not a word. Matthew doesn't say he doesn't hear her. Matthew doesn't say he ignores her or rejects her. He simply does not answer, does not speak a word, lets this weird, uncomfortable silence sit between them. And so she continues to beg and to plead. And soon the disciples kind of jump into the action, asking Jesus to send her away. Now, usually when we read that, we think they're asking Jesus, tell her to go away, tell her to get out of here. But that's actually not the case. They don't necessarily imply to send her away empty-handed because they know that Jesus is compassionate and merciful. But they do want him to just hurry up and do something because they're getting uncomfortable with the situation as well. She's drawing a lot of attention to them. They're out of their element, and the whole thing seems weird. And so they come to Jesus and say, Hey, uh, do you hear this lady behind us? Maybe you could just hustle up and do something, because we're kind of starting to draw a crowd here. And so whether it be grant her wish or send her packing, they say, just do something quickly. And so then Jesus does speak. But he doesn't answer the woman he speaks to the disciples. And again, it doesn't seem right. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, first of all, that doesn't particularly answer the disciples' request, does it? It doesn't give a definite answer to the woman's request either. It all seems a little out of place, like maybe you turn two pages in the Bible at once and you're like, what did I just miss here? And it would seem that the answer he gives doesn't actually change anything. The woman is still crying out for help because nothing's been changed. In fact, now she comes kneeling in front of him, blocking his way, begging and pleading, Lord, help me. Which brings us to that statement of Jesus that seems so utterly wrong, so uncharacteristic, so very not right. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. At a glance, 
It would seem like Jesus has just been ridiculously rude. This woman comes to him, acknowledging him as the Messiah, begging for him to help her daughter who is sorely oppressed by a demon. And we say, he just called her a dog. How would he do such a thing? Dogs of Palestine were wild creatures, roaming in packs, scavenging food from dead animals. For the Jews, as far as uncleanness goes, dogs were pretty much second only to pigs. For most of the Jews, this is how they saw Canaanites and all foreigners. They were outcasts. They were unclean. They were despicable. They weren't worth their time or attention. And so maybe this woman is used to being called a dog by the Jews. Maybe this is kind of what the disciples were even thinking about her. But you see, it turns out that something does get lost in the translation here. Yes, Jesus uses the word dog, but not a filthy, rotten scavenger. Instead, the word that he uses here, it's more like puppy or lapdog. A dog, yes, but a beloved family pet. You see, the Jews were very wrong about God loving only them. They thought they had the corner on the Messiah. They thought they had the monopoly on the love of God because God had a special relationship with them. But that's never been the case. And this is clear all throughout the Bible. Look at the Old Testament reading today, written by the prophet Isaiah several hundred years before Jesus Christ. It speaks of the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord and who serve him. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. And he says, he will gather the outcasts of Israel and will gather yet others. God never wrote off the rest of the world and said, you know what, I'm just saving my favorites. I like this group of people for some reason. Can't really put my finger on it, but these are the ones I'm going to save. Everyone else, too bad, so sad. No. But God did say that he would come to the world through his chosen nation of Israel and that he would come to them first. Jesus had come to proclaim the gospel first to the Jews. Why? Was it because he didn't like anyone else? Because they were better? Absolutely not. It was simply because this is what God had promised. This is the way God had set it up from the beginning of time, and this is the way that God was going to do it. Even though Israel so often showed deep disdain for God, God kept his promise to send the Messiah to them and through them. And Jesus here was making that clear. Jesus was not like the man-made gods who change their minds and are swayed by the wind. If you give them a big enough gift, they'll completely change their universal plans. He's not at the last second going to mix things up and say, Hey, you know what? You guys actually deserve it more, so let's do things like this instead. Also, Jesus is not giving her some faith hurdle that she has to clear to prove that she's worthy. So often we hear that. And yes, God does test us. But that's not what's going on here. He's not making her do a trick before he gives her a reward. 
Jesus here is simply speaking the truth. The truth that had been revealed for hundreds and thousands of years. A truth that the disciples and all those who knew the scriptures should have totally understood. And a truth that this woman, this foreigner, that everyone else looked down upon, did indeed understand. And she agrees with it wholeheartedly. Her response is not one of protest, not one saying, oh, come on, Jesus, can't you just make an exception for me? She does not question what Jesus says. She reinforces it. She says, yes, you shouldn't throw the bread of the children away to the dogs, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She knows that even a crumb of the blessings of God is more than sufficient and more than what she deserves. The Greek word here has the meaning crumbs that continually fall. And I never really understood that. And then we had children. And indeed, the crumbs, the beans, the cereal, the hot dogs, everything else continually fall. A dog at our house could have a second-hand feast at every single meal, it seems. The woman says, I know I don't deserve to sit at the table, and nobody does. But a mere crumb, a scrap of the bounty that you give is more than enough. I was at Taco Bell the other day, and a clump of bean-like substance fell off my burrito onto the wrapper. And I left it there. Because it just wasn't worth it to get up to get a spork for one extra bite of Taco Bell mush. But what if that had been at a five-star resort? What if I had been eating at some fantastic restaurant? I would have made sure to get every last bite, to relish and enjoy every single thing on my plate, to clean up every last crumb of that fantastic meal. The Israelites, the children of God, they had been given God's feast of love. And yet they were unappreciative of the gift of the Messiah. They treated it casually. They acted like he was their own private Messiah. They dropped it. They spilled it. They smeared it around the place and tossed it on the floor. They treated God's promises like taco meat instead of filet mignon. And so this Canaanite woman comes along And more or less, she asks a spiritual, are you going to finish that? Knowing that even the tiniest crumb of grace from Jesus Christ can make everything better. So Christ gives her that crumb and so much more. Because of her God-given faith, her daughter is healed. But more importantly, that faith gives her eternal life. That faith unites her to the death that Jesus would soon die to forgive the sins of the entire world. That faith makes her a child of God no matter what her bloodline or her past or her history was, and she is a recipient of eternal life. And that faith is the same faith that we ourselves have thanks to God's holy word. And by that faith, we receive not just a crumb of blessing, but a never-ending feast. None of us, by our own deeds, deserve to eat even the crumbs of God's blessing, much less to sit at his table. But we don't rely on our deeds. 
we look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And there we see how we have been forgiven, made whole, declared perfect in the sight of God as we are washed clean by his holy blood. We look to his empty tomb and we see how he has conquered death and given that victory to us. We look to his eternal word, trusting in his promises of salvation and redemption for sinners like us. And there we hear God calling us, not to beg under his table, not to do tricks for a little scrap of goodness from him, but to join him at his grand feast of salvation. We receive forgiveness, redemption, salvation, eternal life. We are fed by his holy word, by his true body and blood, as we sit always in the very presence of God himself. And because of all this, because of all the faith that he has worked in our hearts, we know that we will feast with him face to face in heaven. When we lie down in the sleep of death, we will rise again to eternal life in that heavenly paradise that we don't deserve. It is not right that we get to do so, but it will happen because God himself has promised it and has made it happen. This account that seems so not right, it's not an account of God toying with someone. This is not God rejecting someone and then changing his mind at the last second. This is not even God stretching someone's faith to see what it's really made of. This account is a picture of God's grace as he repeats his promises of old and then gives even beyond what he had promised. This is not God calling someone a worthless dog. This is God telling the world, the whole world, that forgiveness is theirs, that salvation has come to them through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we said in our intro, to you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me. God is not deaf. God is gracious and merciful and loving, giving us blessings beyond all measure. God sees our needs and gives us even more than that. He gives us not just the crumbs so that we can survive. He gives us everything, forgiveness, salvation, and everlasting life in paradise, all simply because he loves us and because he promised to do so. In that light, all of a sudden this account, which does not seem to be right at all, is not just right, but perfect. Because here we see not a fickle God calling people names, but a bold proclamation of the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ, that in his cross alone, in his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.